Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everybody, welcome back in to a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name's Mac, and thanks for coming in for the newest episode. So, uh, big shout out to Lisa from Stories from the Roller Coaster last week on a fun episode. I think it's so serendipitous that she and I have the same exact discard day, like down to the year. So like when she was going through her shit, I was going through mine at the exact same time. And I just think that's so wild. It's why I love this community. It's, it's so validating to be able to get that from somebody else and compare stories and you know share our outlook for the future so lisa thank you so much for that and check out that episode if you didn't listen to it last week the way we ended last week's episode was talking about what's our plans for the third year and we both agreed that you know her children are older than mine but we all know that our children suffer tremendously through this whole experience of divorcing and narcissism and living with a toxic parent. And um, so I put out an Instagram post and I said, hey, I'm, I'm kind of looking for like a child psychologist, uh, somebody who can give me some direction when it comes to how to how to help my children. And, and that should now, I think, be my focus for year three. So I put out that post and there was somebody that connected with me and said, I think you should interview this person. I was like, oh, well, actually, I've been in talks with her for weeks and good idea. And let's do that episode. So I think you guys will like this one and check it out. All right, everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac and thanks for coming in for this episode. So I'm super psyched about this one. Just a little quick backstory. Last episode, when I was doing my reflective episode about two years since I left my home, I said at the end of the episode, I want to stop focusing so much on my next and more about how to help my kids in a mental state. So I put out a post on my Instagram saying I need to speak to somebody who is trauma informed when it comes to children's psychology. So enter Dr. Christine Cochiola. Hi, Dr. Christine. Hi, how are you? So she and I have been in touch now for a couple of weeks. I'm glad we finally got to do this. But I reached out to her and I said, yes, I know the person that I should speak to about this. So I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for having me on. And I would add trauma informed, but coercive control informed. What these narc abusers do is they use power and control to harm everyone, right? Including their children. 
So I think that's the other layer that I always like to add in. This is not, our children are traumatized, but they are also coercively controlled to behave a certain way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so let's get right into it. And I'm going to post some scenarios to you because there's a lot of what I'm dealing with. And I know that my listeners are dealing with this sort of thing too. Before we got on the air right now, you and I were talking about how to communicate in the presence of your next in front of your children. Because my the dichotomy between my myself and my next is volatile at best. And I know it it it's continuously difficult. So how should the communication, how do, how do we approach communication with our narcissistic ex in the presence of our children? Um, I think that a really great baseline is being polite. It's just being polite. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be super friendly, though. <laughs> I, I think that one of the things that's really important, especially in front of our children, is that if we are trying really hard to teach our children that there is a clear difference between me and this other parent. If we want them to distinguish the differences, we have to be very clear about our own boundaries. I have to say way too often I have protective parents, I'll call you a protective parent, who are always engaged in a process of trying to make everything comfortable to create equilibrium. Frankly, that's why people stay in the home is because they stay, they're fixers, right? And they stay to create, and, and they, they're always the one trying to create the equilibrium trying to make sure that things kind of don't go off balance. The children witness that. And what the children learn is that they have to create equilibrium in the home. And so in that, are they being honest with how they really feel? So when you're interacting with the person that's harmful, the next, we'll call that person, right? When you're interacting with them, and if you're super kind and friendly, then you're showing your kids, wait a minute, dad doesn't have a boundary here. And so how do you create the space where you're perfectly polite, you're not at all antagonistic, but that there is a boundary there? You're not going to be like, oh, nice new car. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. You're not going to say when mommy, let's just say mommy is the next and, you know, and let's just say that, that you're not going to say, you know, you need to go with mommy. She loves you so much. That's gaslighting. <laughs> That's, listen. I mean, I could go on and you need to stop me, but I, I, I if I go on this little under this- Do your show, do your thing. I'm, I'm interested. I'm here well, for it. So here's the thing. We spent our lives in a relationship, however long it was, being gaslit and in some ways gaslighting our children into thinking that everything was okay, that we had a typical family system, that everything was all right. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, well, I stayed together for the kids, right? Like 50% of marriages- end in divorce, but take that like 25% and throw that on top of it for the people who stay together for the kids. I mean, it's just a super difficult situation. It is a difficult situation in that people end up being performative in their own homes. And that's problematic because now the child has that to gauge how they should be behaving. And they learn to be performative with these people. It's powerful. I, I use the word intuition disintegration. Here's why. So I didn't purposefully gaslight my own children into thinking everything was okay, but I did it to survive. Mm -hmm. I did it to, to keep the family together. I did it because I didn't want them to think we had all of these problems, that there was so much toxicity, right? So gaslighting has a malice intent. I mean, it, it does. So 
But what of the story of how much we disintegrate, we literally take away our children's integrating of their intuition. We tell them everything's okay. We behave like everything's okay. We are really super po- like friendly to a person who's harmful, maybe Uncle John, who's harmful. We say, oh, go say hello to Uncle John. Be polite to Uncle John. We do a really horrible job of teaching them about their intuition. And then we wonder why when they're 8, 10, 12, 15, they really are not following their intuition about the abusive parent. You're so right, yeah. I think it's a pretty profound concept to understand that, I won't call it gaslighting, but that we spend all that time in the relationship, they're watching us. They see what we're doing. I have so many, again, protective parents will be like, oh, well, your dad's late, but he probably had to work late. Or, you know, I know he's late again, but he loves you so much. Bullshit. These people don't know how to love. Yeah. You know, you know what the funny thing is, too? As you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, as as I'm, you know, I'm 38 years old. So I remember growing up, I was very submissive to my parents and they were the boss and they were the omnipotent power on right from wrong. And you had to just submit to that. And I'm thinking to me, it kind of seems counterintuitive that we would allow our children to have so much decision-making, but it's surely the right way to be. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. So um, my son recently, uh, you know, I've talked on this podcast that I had a restraining order put on me because of a football practice that went awry. And it's not my parenting this weekend, but my son has his last football game. And I want to be there, but I said to my son, I said, hey, would it be okay if I come to your last football game? And my son said, no. And I, oh God, we, as a parent, you're like, oh geez, why? Because you hate me? And he's like, no, nah, I just, you know, mom's going to be there and I'd rather you not be there. And I said in my head, I was like, no, that's completely fair because your poor little, you know, my son's seven, your poor little mind, you know, you have the right to choose and I'll respect that boundary. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That's the thing about when we think about people who don't follow their intuition. Mm-hmm. Okay. They actually don't have agency. They don't have autonomy. And what these people in these abusive relationships try to do is to take that away so that you have no voice, no agency. Your son has voice. He has agency. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. Even if it means you're not going to the football game, he has that agency and that ability. Now, I think, you know, I would warn you that he's only seven and that the role of the abusive parent, the coercively controlling parent, is to diminish or compromise a child's ego. If I can compromise a child's ego, that healthy ego development, and make them more, like less able to be adaptable to change, less able to have voice. If I do that, I make them smaller and smaller, their autonomy smaller, like you kind of just suggested in your own family, the oppression, right? Mm -hmm. That oppression leads children to either be in similar relationships, hence maybe you, and or me, but also may lead them to behave and role model more controlling behavior. Because if I can't control my own circumstances, I may either fawn, subjugate, like right. like you do, or I'm going to figure out a way around this. And the way around that sometimes is dissociate, sometimes, sometimes it's freeze, but lots of times it's bully. It's bully. Oh, yeah. That's so the that, problem with my kids now. So that so then how do we 
you know, to, to go back to what you said, I think it's really important to understand that that's why we need to give them agency, even if they're pushing us away sometimes, which is really hard. Yeah, it's yeah. hard for us, right? It, that's the selfish part of us comes out. We go, don't push me away. I love you so much. But, you know, they and we got to not take it so offensively. But nothing's so- personal. Nothing is personal. Every that's single decision. Every single decision that comes out of their mouth, every word, you know, you could have a kid calling you like a terrible swearing at you, telling you you're horrible, all of these things. Every single thing that's coming out of them is based on a fear. The fear is not necessarily of you, although it could be because they could be indoctrinated to fear you. But it also is a fear of retaliation by the next, by the narcissistic abuser. Yes. and so, so they are, they are, they are like in this place, this very precarious place. If I don't do what the harmful parent wants me to do, I'm going to have hell to pay later, and or they're going to reject me. And guess what? So this is a really, this is a deep thought. Okay, just stick with me for a second. With you, I'm, I'm entirely with you, and you're, you got the wheels spinning here. Go ahead. So, so if I'm an abusive parent. Okay, my goal is to is to literally have my children hate you, right? I want them to like, but my children know that I don't love them. They know that the love subconsciously, not consciously, they're not at that ability to do that. That's about like cognitive processing in the brain. The brain is not ready to do that yet. They are, I have so much to say about this, but let me just push this concept. So, so our children are perfect prey. I actually have a podcast called Perfect Prey because they are perfectly aligned to be basically indoctrinated in this way. So they are, if they do what the abusive parent tells them to do, and then that abusive parent isn't going to reject them or abandon them. But if they don't do what that abusive parent tells them to do, even if it's covert, like, oh, you don't really love your father. You don't want to go to that football game. You don't want to go over there this weekend, whatever it is, okay? Even if it's covert, then the child knows to some degree that the love from that parent is conditional. Now, if the love from one of my parents is conditional, that I must not have value, frankly. I don't have value. And if that love is conditional, I can't be myself because if I'm myself, I'm going to get retaliated against. Now, stick with me. On top of that, the other parent, I've been told they don't love me. I've been told they don't want to go to my football game. I've been told that they hate it when I visit them or that I, they, they tell my abusive parent all the time that I'm not loved. So I am not loved by two people. I don't have the love of the two people that now, of course, I don't have it from the abusive parent, hands down, but I'm being told I don't have it from the protective parent. But what does the protective parent do? So <laughs> they have to show up very consistently in a way that is clearly unconditional love, positive regard, and the ability for the child to be authentically themselves. The healthy ego will develop if a child can can authentically be themselves. That means when they come to you and they're absolutely horrifyingly abusive to you, they do they have that incident in that moment. You address it. You say, wow, that was really not very kind. I wish that didn't happen. And you go ahead and you make tacos. Like you don't 
hold on to the resentment because what the coercively controlling narcissistic abusive parent is trying so hard to do is their goal is to create this compromise and the way to do it is to shame. So how did that coercively controlling narcissistic parent become who they are? Someone shamed them. They didn't have unconditional positive regard. It's mind-blowing. And what and what they want to do to their children, whether it's it's always intentional. Abuse is always intentional. But whether they even realize they're doing it is they're projecting shame onto their children, just like just like that person did to you, by the way. Made you feel less than, made you feel diminished, made you feel like you didn't have agency. So if I can do that to my children and create shame in them, they're not going to have the ability to stand up to me. So your children need to have the ability to stand up to you. Okay. I'm with you. You completely have me. Okay. But here's the question that's going on in my brain. What do, how does the protective parent then approach discipline? So it's tricky. It's very tricky. I would say this. I would say that there's a couple of things. First of all, one thing that I always recommend to the protective parents that I work with is you need to write down the things your child typically does that cause problems. Okay. Because there's a pattern. There's, you know, whether it's they don't clean their room, they don't do their laundry if they're teenagers, you know, they don't come home on time. Sharing is a big thing in my house. Sharing, they don't share. Okay. All right. And I need you to come up with how you're going to handle that. Not in the moment, but I need, so I always say we are, we are in a script. We are in a play and we are, we are performing in our own home and we're preparing ourselves to how we're going to react to our children, respond, I should say, to our children when they do something that we know they're going to do. So how do we how do we plan for that in a way that we're parenting in the most trauma-informed, coercively controlled, informed way? Now, versus us just being reactive, yeah. versus us saying, you know, you did it again. You didn't share with your sister. I can't believe it. You know, and so now what is what what I just said is shame-based. Can we do a little role play real quick? Absolutely. Do it all, all right. the time with so, my clients. So the other day... Um, my son and my daughter both had chalk and my daughter walked over to my son's chalk painting and she crossed out his painting with the chalk and he shoved her to the ground. Now, my daughter shouldn't have done that. My son shouldn't have shoved her. And I'm sitting there going, both of you knock it off. And, and that's the thing is that they're both in my brain. When that happened, I think they're both competing for the alpha child, so to speak. And of course, you just said, you know, we have to. Like that, that's kind of in the sharing realm, but I'm trying to figure out rather than being reactive, I mean, can we give like a good for sharing? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, so I use an acronym. It's it's called VEST 2.1K. Okay. Say that again. VEST 2.1K. Validate okay. with empathy mm-hmm. in a soft tone and say twice what you're validating only twice. And then after that, the point one is disengage with kindness. So in this particular situation, it would be, it would be for him, hey, I'm really sorry, sis did that. That really sucks. And he goes, hey, you know, like she did, you haven't addressed his pushing yet. I get it. Like, I can't believe she did that. You know what? That really sucks. But we don't push in your house. Okay. So that, that's like, and then he comes at you again 
and you say, I'm done talking about it. We're done. We're done. Do you want to go shoot hoops? Go shoot hoops while I talk to your sister. And then and then you go to his sister and you say, listen, I get you were really upset. I'm, do you want to talk about why you crossed out like his picture? No, I don't want to talk about it. I can't stand him. I can't believe he did this to me. Okay, I get it. But we don't we don't do that in our house. We just don't do that. And everything's our. Nothing's you don't do this. We refrain from the word you. The word you puts everyone on defense. It's a really great communication skill to have in arguments with anybody. But with our children, you put them on the defense. So if you can, in that moment, just redirect, correct. But I always say this is the point, though, Mac. This is the point. With these children who are being so harmed by the abusive parent, it's literally connect, 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 connect. We correct one out of 10 times. You ignore or you you address, you can say, hey, that's not cool. But then you go back to what's for dinner tonight. You disengage. You immediately divert rather than creating any level of shame involved in that. You know, so I heard somewhere along the lines that you ask the child, you know, how would you feel if that was done to you? Like I, we saw a kid the other day skin his knees and I said, you know, do you feel bad for that kid? Have you ever seen him skin his knees before? I like to put my kids in that position to make sure that they have empathy. First of all, that's that's my biggest thing, because I'm not so sure that they have empathy. OK, yeah, so you're trying I'm to do sure. empathy building, empathy building activities, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So it's not. Do you feel bad for that kid? That's not what that's not the vernacular is. Wow. That kid, man, his knees must hurt. That's you showing empathy and them feeling it with you. They become attuned to you. That's, like so that's different than you saying, do you feel that? Or do you feel that? Even if you say it nicely, it's kind of the same idea with the whole what happened at the chalkboard and the, you know, him mm-hmm. pushing her is what I was showing you is an example of co-regulation. Your kids were very dysregulated in that moment. She was dysregulated, then he was dysregulated, then you were like, hey, cut it out, which is reasonable. I totally get it. But that's you dysregulated. Mm-hmm. How do you co-regulate? And sometimes that means literally just sitting on the floor or laying on the floor, showing them you just being, even in a moment of chaos. So it's about role modeling for them, regulation, and then co-regulating with them, become attuned to them. So in this empathy example, we always want to build empathy for them. And these kids oftentimes are very entitled if they are the favorite child by the abusive parent. Yeah. So we can do that simply by saying, you know, going in the bathroom and taking a shower and saying, hey, can one of you get me a towel or calling to one of your kids to get you a towel? Let them take care of you. Let them watch you engaged in self-care. Let them see that they came over for a weekend visit and what dad is actually taking a nap today. Wow, he's tired. And you can say and pretend. So it's not manipulation. It's positive persuasion. If you said, if you just pretended you had a headache, are you doing it to hurt them? No. Ask them to get you a cold face cloth. That's empathy building. Without them being called out do you, you know, don't you feel bad for me? I have a headache. No, I need it. Can you, somebody get me a cold face cloth, please? That's great. That's great advice. I'm definitely trying that next weekend. Next, <laughs> next overnight visit, I'm a thousand percent going to fall in a headache. <laughs> See if I can get me an ice bat. I love that. I love that. 
So let's change speeds a little bit. Let's talk a little bit. Let's go back to interactions, you know, as far as it goes with our nexes and our kids. So as the, as we feel the protective parents, what can we do when the child's, you know, for example, my, my next, when she has phone calls with the kids, she always goes, are you guys okay? (laughs) You know, are you okay? What are you guys doing? Where did you go? You know, like I have one recording that my next, she was doing a FaceTime call with the kids and, and my son went to go throw the ball with me in the other room and I can see her going, where did he go? Where did he go? Like she constantly puts them on this alarm. You know what I mean? So what can we do to sort of, like you said, regulate? What can we do to regulate their emotions, to bring them back down, to know that you're safe with dad, dad or mom, you're safe with mom, you're safe with dad, we love you and we want to make sure that you feel safe when you're in our presence. Right. So I would say like with those phone calls, they do they come at the same time every night or every? Yeah. I mean, for the most part. Yeah. For the most part. So when those phone calls are occurring, a way to help your children regulate a little bit better is to have nothing else like distracting going on. Like, you know, it, it only I mean, you going to play ball or something. They know in their head, they know in their head that she's going to say something or ask something or the other child on the phone knows there's going to be something that's going to come up like, where's your brother? Why isn't he here? So what might be best is how do we create, I call it protective parts for these children, right? How do we create a protective barrier around them when they're getting that call so that call goes as seamlessly as possible? And so is that, you know, hey, mom's going to be calling in a few minutes. You know what? How about if you guys sit in the kitchen and me, I'm going to go in the other room for a few minutes and you don't even like do anything to, right? Because that creates, again, a sense of stability and they know what to expect. I mean, for some children, I've had them, um, they actually take the phone call in the same place every single time. Mm-hmm. And it just helps with the consistency. So I want, I'm going to go back to the brain development that I started with. I get a call from my parent and every time I get a call from them, I'm seven years old or I'm five years old. Every time I get a call, I know I'm going to get drilled, uh, grilled, drilled, whatever. I'm going to get a ton of questions. I'm going to get a ton of questions. So guess what's going on with my body right now? The cortisol levels are flooding. Yes. Okay. The wheels are already spinning. Either going to Okay. So if you think about the brain from the bottom part of the brain as the reptilian part of the brain. Okay, children who are growing up in abusive households are very often in this reptilian part of their brain. They're easily dysregulated. They have um, this fight, flight, freeze or fawn like state. So let's just say that the the parent is calling. They are now they have gone from maybe having fun outside and relaxed to now being in the den with the wolf. They're in a den right now with a wolf do you think that trying to pull one out to have like fun or starting to make dinner in front of them or no 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 no. how do we help regulate their nervous system we give them as much peace as we can in that period of time so they feel protected by us and that's how they see you as different by the way than the abusive parent because that never happens in the other home and so in that they're in reptilian mode And so people always say to me, how come they don't get it? Like, you know, when they're 14, they don't remember all this 
crap that happened and how come they don't get it? Because without connection, this is that connect, connect, connect. Without that connection, there's no ability to regulate. And without regulation, the brain cannot cognitively process. Let me ask you this question. You're totally stressed out. You just had a car accident. You're totally stressed out. And I give you a mathematical problem to do right now. Are you able to do the mathematical problem? I suck at math to begin with. Okay. <laughs> You're not going to be able to do it. Right. That's our. So our children, though, what I'm trying to hide, like. I understand. They're balancing so much. They're in reptilian mode virtually all the time at that other house. Yeah. Then they come home to you and they're they're. Maybe they're not in reptilian mode all the time, but they're easily brought back to it. And well, it takes a long time for them to get out of it, too. Absolutely. It they're probably... dysregulated when they they are dysregulated when they arrive. And they that's the whole I don't maybe I, you know, for some children they might say, I don't want to go, or I, I wish I wasn't here, or take me back home. You know what my son does a lot? My son, he doesn't want to talk unless he's in my presence. So if I text him, he doesn't text back. If I'm trying to FaceTime, he doesn't FaceTime me back. It's like, unless I'm with him, he, he, when I'm with him, it's great. You're the best friends in the whole world. But it's so hard to get in touch with him. And I blame it on his individualism and the fact that, you know, he has his friends and he has his iPad and all that other stuff. But you're make, right. You're shaking your head on the screen. You're making me think different about it. Now. He knows. He knows what happens when he talks to you. So what do I do? You give him you give him permission not to talk to you. You give him permission. It's kind of like that, if you love something, let it go type thing. It's very sad. It makes me cry just thinking about it. It's so pathetic. Oh, it's horrible. It's, it's horrible. horrible. And I like I texted him today and I just said, I love you. How's school? And he doesn't respond. I know. You just keep reaching out and you don't, you say, hey, without expectations for responses. And he needs to know that. He needs, so who has, who's in charge of the phone bill? Her. Oh, she's monitoring everybody he talks to. Oh, of course, of course, yeah. So every time he responds to you, what do you think happens to him? Don't say this, don't say that. If he says, I love you, don't say I love you back. So you're set, listen to me, I'm going to say something really harsh here, Matt. You're setting him up for the trap. You're putting him in the trap. I think I had to take a long drag of nicotine. (laughs) It... Yeah. That makes me feel so bad. I love it with all my heart, and I don't, you know, I'm just some dude. I don't know how to navigate narcissism. I'm doing the best I can, but you're absolutely right. I'm not trying to shame you at all. This is no, so hard. No. This, this is, is so hard. Useful. It's incredibly, it's incredibly useful. And I know anybody who's listening to this can relate to this too, because we love our kids. We don't want to hurt them. We want the reciprocation back from them. You know, we want the love that we give to to come back to us. And what you're sort of saying, and, and for the first time ever, I'm sort of internalizing the, if you love something, let it go and see if it comes back to you. Be, be, be cautious. I'm going to be cautious here. Your kids are very little. Yeah. Okay. They need you to be, listen, the best thing for your children is time with you. Yes. It, the best thing for them. The Quality over quantity. Oh, the, 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 their time with you is going to heal them. Because you're going to be the best parent they need. You're going to be not only trauma-informed, but you're going to be course of control-informed. I mean, 
you know, I have a protective parenting program and this is all it is. It's eight modules, it's nine modules, 12 hours of video lessons. The whole purpose of it is to teach protective parents on how to be parents of children who are being harmed by narcissistic abusers, by coercive controllers. I call them coercive controllers because what they're doing is they're coercively controlling. That being said, your time with him, it, it's not letting go because you can't let go because they're petrified. I want you to understand something. Your children are petrified that if they push hard enough, you're going to let go. They are petrified. Oh, oh dude, now you got me choked up. What a juggling act, man. It, for them. No, so it's a juggling act for you to F us. It doesn't matter about us. It matters about them. Yeah. She sees her child. She saw her child. A mom who saw her children was seeing her children once a week. It still does at a diner. And neither one of them would talk to her. They had, She had one hour a week at a diner for them. That's how much he pulled them away. Because believe me, it, the, it, the process is now where they're going to continue to be pulled away from the protective parent. This is what these people do. I always say it started day one. Day one, the moment those children were born, this person said, hmm, this is a good weapon. I could use this weapon. I will use it if I need to. And then when you decide to leave or divorce, whatever it is, right. that's when it's the weaponization of the children occurs. This mom began using a different way of communicating with her children. And now they're having a nice lunch every week. So they went from not talking to her 14 and 15 to talking to her. And the hope is that the more freedom they have by going away to boarding school and college, the more they're going to come back to her. But if we are not always ready and available and there for them, they're going to think we, we they're going to think exactly what they heard from the other parent, that we rejected them, that we don't love them, that we don't care enough. So we okay, always so reach out. So you reach out, you reach out to him and say, hey, bud, I know you, this is what you do though. Hey, bud, I know you can't reply to me all the time. Now, you didn't say his mother's not letting him reply. You just said, I know you can't reply to me all the time. I get it's hard. I get it's hard. You're you're calling out the behavior that you know is happening. You're not disparaging that other person. And you say, but you say, but you know what? But I'm still gonna I'm still gonna text you because you know what? I love you and I miss you when I don't see you. That's it. That's a good line. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm gonna get I kinda wanna do it right now while I'm on the air. But like, yeah, no, that's that's good. And I and like you know, for a second there, my brain went down this weird thing where I'm like, should I not be treating him like his attention is the prize? My daughter's not so much of a problem but because my son is older and, like you said, the golden child, and he's more susceptible to the gaslighting. But to me, I don't... Sometimes I think maybe I, his attention shouldn't be such this trophy for me. But you're right. I got to show him that he's that I'm there for him. And I love him, even though it's hard for him to respond. Correct. And if he thinks, so listen, this is important. If he thinks that you are waiting like for him to give you attention, if he thinks, then who has the power? Him. And do we want him to have power? Over yes. No. Yes. No. You don't? No. No. Okay. We don't want him to have power over you because that's what she's trying to get him to do. I see. This is, this is the manipulation. This is the, you know, you don't have to go to dad's. You don't have to listen to dad. You don't have to follow that rule. You don't have to text him. That's giving him power, unhealthy power, that also compromises him. You need to be in a position of personal power, which is, you know, I get it. You can't respond to me, but just so you know, bud, I got you. I love you so much. And and, and that's it. That's not, why didn't you text me? Why don't you respond to me? Why can't I come to your game? Not that you said that, but you understand, like, we can't come across as a victim. 
in this because then they get power over us. And the last thing a child wants is power over us. They want someone to take care of them. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. Well, listen, I I, I want to be respectful of your time. Where can everybody find you on social media and, uh, you know, plug some of you, like you said, your course and some of those things? Yeah. So I have a podcast called Perfect Prey because, uh, again, I believe that everyone, unfortunately, is chosen by these abusers. Um, they're not going to choose people who have are not as accommodating. They're just not, you know, so. Um, and uh, I have a, they can find me on my website. It's called IKnowYourHeart.com is the link because protective parents know their children's hearts better than anyone. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, Dr. Coachiola. Awesome. So. Awesome. This was so valuable. And I feel like, I feel like I, like my copay should be in the mail because you just got in my head for like this whole episode. But thank you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure to meet you. And I'd love to bring you on in future episodes so I can pick your brains. And I think everybody's going to, you know, find a lot of value in what you had to say. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Until next time, everybody.